0: Welcome to Ag Credit Set It. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from all parts of the agriculture industry to bring you insights and must-have information on all things from farming to finances and everything in between.
1: Well, welcome back to another episode of Ag Credit Set It. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, and I am here again with Libby. Hey Libby, how you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. We are lucky to be here at the Ohio State University Ag Campus.
1: The sun's shining. You know, pretty pretty nice day out for uh, for the winter weather. So we today are talking with Barry Ward on a hot topic that I I feel it's a hot topic all the time, and probably even more with the cost of everything is cash rents. So Libby. Why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit uh, and kind of introduce Barry here.
0: So Barry wears many hats at Ohio State um, College of Food, Ag, and Environmental Sciences. He is the director of the OSU Income Tax School. He also is an undergraduate instructor, and we all know him more as being part of the OSU Farm Office, um, creating budgets, um, evaluating cash rents, and land values around the state of Ohio. And one thing that I didn't realize that Barry did is he's also a part-time farmer with his family farm back in Urbana, Ohio.
1: Well, Barry, I'd like to thank you for being part of our podcast today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners, um, you know, some of uh, a uh, little bit of background about yourself and uh, how you came to be in the position you are?
2: All right, I'll give it my best. It's good to be with all of you today, and thanks for having me on first and foremost. Um, I grew up on a grain farm. uh, Well, I guess it was more than that. It was a a very uh, diversified farm in western Ohio, so around Urbana, Ohio, and that led me to Ohio State eventually. A couple of degrees later, I was an extension educator, and then I uh, changed and uh, was able to move into this position here on campus. So most of the work that I do is in farm management and tax education now. Okay.
0: I guess we'll start off with our first question then. Can you explain exactly what cash rent is for those who don't know?
2: All right. Yes, Uh, starting at the beginning. uh, A cash rent is uh, an exchange of one thing for another. In this case, we're exchanging dollars for the use of... uh, Productive farmland. In most cases, we're talking about row crop land, in Ohio, and we can talk about other things as far as uh, renting pasture or renting woodlots and those things. But I'm assuming we're going to focus mostly on just a cash rent arrangement uh, with row crop uh, farmland. It's pretty straightforward. You know, typically we either have uh, some kind of a oral or written agreement uh, between the two parties, the landowner and the tenant farmer. And um, what we're looking at is uh, some variation of that. Uh, You know, we're talking about uh, cash exchanging hands in the form of, you know, however that does at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year. We're seeing more of these arrangements uh, set up, though, as we see uh, more profitability in the last couple of years or more. That uh, cash rents are paid up front. Lot of cases. So it's just a pretty simple arrangement where we agree, well, it it's simple once we know what that price is, but that's that's the
1: difficult part, is mm-hmm. that negotiation. Barry, do you guys see with your information that you gather across the state ground transitioning more from what I always considered, you know, the traditional crop share with a landlord to cash rent is is more ground now on a cash rent side than a crop share, in your opinion? Uh, Yes. I mean,
2: both anecdotal evidence and some of the survey data that's been collected over the years sure indicates that we're at a, a higher percentage of straight cash rents or flex rents, if you want to throw those in there. And we'll talk about those, I think, a little bit later. But we've gradually switched over from what used to be a predominant type of a lease, which was the crop share lease, to now, which is uh, the predominant kind, is a cash rent rental arrangement. You know, If we look at some of the evidence and some of the data, it would uh, roughly be about two-thirds of the, the rents or some kind of a cash rental arrangement, and about one-third are crop share arrangements in Ohio. And it varies a little bit by region and by county. There are okay. some areas, some counties that have more crop share leases and, and probably are a higher percentage, but that's at least where we think
1: those numbers land right now. I always kind of wondered that because when we look at you know a lot of the uh, land sales that have happened in our area here in the last two years, and it seems like more of the ground is being owned by, I want to say that generation that is one generation off of producing off the farm. So now it's more of just an asset to them where maybe that cash rent eh, seems a little bit more, you know, <sighs> mitigating that risk a little bit. They, uh, yeah. they just, they know it's a set fee they're going to be getting versus the- you know, the turmoil we could have in crop production.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's less risky. It's more certain, of course, that goes along with the, the risk profile. But it's also, you get, as you mentioned, we have uh, more folks that are further removed from the actual production. So they know even less, and uh, they know a little bit less about the whole management concept, uh, what it takes to spend uh on the inputs, the marketing aspect, and all those things that really you need to have to be a crop share landlord.
0: Yeah, and I I think too that you are probably seeing more written contracts now rather than oral. Maybe <laughs> with this you know this generation that's being the, the old handshake doesn't yeah. quite get it
1: done anymore. You know,
0: and that's where I guess do you do we truly see that, or is that still a push that? you and maybe us as lenders would like to see more written contracts and the understanding that those should be, you know, if they're over a certain certain amount of years, that they should be filed at the recorder's office as well.
2: Exactly. Well, that's the hope. Although I think the reality in most cases in many parts of Ohio, we're still not quite where we want to be. You know, we did some uh, just kind of polling at some of our lease meetings in the past and In the past six or seven years i suppose it's been and it still showed that it was only around 50 percent of the leases were written leases now i think that number has gradually increased since we did that informal polling i'm hopeful that it's closer to two-thirds or three-fourths but i think the reality is it's still probably hovering closer to 50 percent we would like to see more of course more written peggy hall and i Worked and uh, worked together on putting together some of these lease meetings in the past. Uh, She's our attorney that works with us here in the the college, and uh, you know that's one of the things that she wants to see more of.
1: Oh yeah, and
0: I just think that's protection. That's protection for everybody. And especially when changing hands of landowners, if they're, you know, they're passing away, going to the kids, you know, and just different things that could possibly happen, happen with that. And I think it gives you opportunity to do different types of leases. Could you explain, you know, more of like what the flux cash rent could be or, you know, what we typically think of when we hear a cash rent? You know, there are some different options out there.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, one thing that we've also talked about for the last, well, 20-plus years, I suppose, along with many of you out there working with uh, with growers is trying to incorporate a little bit more flexibility into these cash leases, uh, allowing them to move a little bit during the year even uh, if the parameters change, if the prices and yields are better or worse than what was expected as the rent was negotiated. So, We would like to see more. However, you know, it adds more work. It it requires more communication between the two parties and sometimes um, one or the other aren't interested in some of these moving parts. But uh, one thing that it, it does allow is a land or the tenant farmer to give that landowner a little upside without negotiating a higher Base rent that they're stuck with for several years, if conditions change, and and maybe we're in one of those situations now where we're seeing really high prices, and uh, I've had a couple of pretty good years on average here in Ohio, so uh, land landlords might be asking for a little bit more, and the tenant farmer might you know, the farmer might just you know suggest at least that we look at uh, perhaps a flex lease. So uh, you know, there's some standard kinds of flexible cash rent arrangements rather than just a straight or straight cash rent, but one, is, one common one is the percent of gross revenue. Um, and that has uh, worked well for some, some uh, arrangements. Um, however, you know, in the situation that we're in now, I think it looks a little bit worse for the tenant farmer mm-hmm. because input costs have really uh, rallied right up. And even though we've got this high gross revenue the net income perhaps is not as good as what they would hope.
0: Right. So they may be
2: paying these higher rents based on this flexible arrangement that we worked into our, our agreement and uh, maybe they're not seeing that net income
1: compensate for that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one.
1: Yeah. Well, I say high prices get you high prices. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so we, we, we talk about for the most part, three good years were coming off a good yields, uh, good crop prices. Next year, we're kind of looking at some different factors driving our cash rent. As of right now, what would you say is probably the most common cash rent, uh, basically product, or is it a flat still, you know, $200 an acre just for average? Is it just a straight cash rent that's out there that you guys see? Or is it transitioning more and more to that uh Flexible arrangement. flexible arrangement.
2: It's still, it's still a large majority of those cash rents I see are just straight, straight cash rents with no flex arrangement,
1: with no flex uh, language in the lease. Mm-hmm. We're
2: seeing more of those, but it's still,
1: I think, the the minority. I always kind of wondered with you know younger producers coming in if that's something more a younger producer driven thing to want to give that a little bit of added benefit to the landlord versus you know the the long term farmer that. You know, hey, we've always done it this way. We're going to keep continuing it this way. So it's always just interesting to kind of see where we're transitioning, especially in good years now. Like you said, when things start tightening up, it'll be interesting to see the ones that were on, you know, a different setup. Will they try and revert back to, you know, a a set rate then?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting time that we're in with all of the – a lot of changes.
1: Well, a lot of good information here. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with you here on AgCredit Set It. If you'd like to hear more from Barry Ward, join us next Wednesday, January 11th at 7 p.m. for a free webinar. Barry will join us to discuss budgets and market outlook for 2023. Pre-registration is required for this free webinar. To register, visit our website at www.agcredit.net backslash webinars, and we hope that you can join us. All right, we are back with Barry Ward uh, talking uh, the big, big topic for going into 2023, uh, especially as we look at as lenders as cash rents. So going back to talking about 2023 and some of the driving factors on where we, what's going to kind of influence our cash rent prices. You know, we're looking at possibly, you know, as I've been hearing, the most expensive crop ever produced in 2023. And I think that's more we're looking at the price of the crop versus the all the input costs as well. How is that, in your opinion, going to be driving our cash rent going forward? Because I know we came off two good years where mar- net farm margins – are very good, but I believe we're kind of looking at possibly tightening it up a little bit in 2023 with our input costs. Do you see cash rents tighten up or continue where they're at or possibly increase just with the, you know, increased price of our crop? Well, I'm going to
2: probably say something that most growers don't want to hear, but I think we're, we're in for another year of increases, regardless of what we would like if we're uh, on the production side, it's just something that I think is inevitable. Now, whether or not we see the increases uh, that we've seen the last couple of years, on average in Ohio as far as cash rents go, I don't know. I think we're still uh, we're still going to be open to a lot of uh, variables that we don't really know what what they're going to end up with. Uh. Come planning and then harvest time, but uh, you know these rents have already been. Some of them have already been negotiated for this next year, and most mm-hmm. of the other ones are going to be done here in the next uh, couple of weeks, or some are some are later and won't get negotiated until the spring. But I think with uh, what we've seen in the past few years, with some of the government payments and the profitability, there's just a lot of dollars out there. We've seen it with farmland. You know, there's. Lots of farmers that are actively aggressive uh, pursuing farmland, and I don't think it's going to, as far as purchasing, and I don't think it's
1: going to be different with uh, with the rental market. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, uh, uh, Libby and I are both, you know, producers as well as uh, ag lenders, and we, you know, look at, you know, a, we have a Federal Reserve right now, a very aggressive Federal Reserve that uh, keeps increasing rates, which, and the long of it increases our cost to operate. So I, I as a producer, I look at that a little bit that, well, hey, it's costing me more to produce this crop. So my cash rent should be a little less, right? Because I'm not making the margin. Is, is there any advice I guess you can give that, that younger, younger producer that may be looking at it that way? you know, No one, rents are gonna go up, but hey, what, what can I do to help mitigate that risk a little bit? Well, it's tough, right? Because uh,
2: typically in these uh, volatile cycles, we see uh, as the commodity prices are going up and inputs are catching up, we see higher profitability on the those, those up years as we're increasing commodity prices. And then if, if and when corn price uh, decides to come back down to a, well, a lower level, whatever that might be, then input costs then respond. And uh, we see on the backside or the downside of that uh, price curve, uh, oftentimes some tougher times, some loss. Uh, so it's a matter of uh, having enough reserves, having enough net worth to weather some of those storms and, uh, or credit, you know, having a credit reserve. So all of those things, I, I just, I, I try to give a better picture, but the, the brutal truth is that's usually the economic cycle that we're faced with.
1: And I think it's always tough when we look at even younger producers and, uh, you know, uh, long tenured producers. When we have good years on the farm, we're ready to, you know, update infrastructure, uh, put money back into the farm where, which is a needed thing at all times, but also it's good to, like you say, keep that, keep some money back in reserve. Uh, just, you know, that way we can stay fluid when when times get just a little, little tougher, which, we all know in agriculture, we go in cycles. So, you know, we're in the high cycle and we know there will be a low cycle. We just don't know when. No, we don't. And and
2: you had asked maybe for a little bit more as far as uh, some some strategies um, on the rent side. You know, it's it's one thing to hold the line on rents and say, no, I won't pay anymore. Sometimes you lose land base, right, to, to landlords that are really a little more aggressive, and they understand that the marketplace will give them more. So you can offer a flex lease arrangement. That's one thing that we recommend, uh, or an indexed lease, uh, maybe that's indexed to a certain uh, set of uh, numbers, oftentimes maybe the USDA NAS numbers. So if that number goes up by 6%, then our rent goes up by 6%. If it goes down by a couple percent, then our rent goes down. So that's one way that you can do it without a lot of uh, maybe adverse uh, negotiations. Um, maybe put some, this is something I've just started talking about, and we can talk more about it uh, later on as we meet, uh, but uh, maybe putting some sunset clauses into a lease arrangement where we bump it up for a couple of years, and then it comes back down to the base where it was. I don't know. That That's maybe a tough sell for landlords, And the other thing is uh, offering services, and and I know many of you, especially young people that are in farming, will provide services in lieu of additional cash rent. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: I think we had talked about that on our branding podcast um, in our season one of – you know, are you going to, you know, mow the ditches and yep. take care of things? Um, some, you know, some guys are trying to put tile into their yeah. rental ground and trying to lock in that rental rate for, you know, so many years, too. Yep. And so there are some different things I think you can do. And I would encourage if you guys haven't listened to that branding podcast, it's I think it's one of our last episodes in season one. Do that because Barry is hitting that, you know, hitting very hard of what um, Stacey McCracken had talked about in that of there are other things that you can do as a young producer to add to that because we know there's other more tenured farmers that are paying a lot more rent than you can afford right now
1: setting setting yourself uh just setting yourself apart from the rest of the crowd absolutely
0: much. you have to sell yourself you are a salesman if you don't realize it or not <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, the other thing that I guess I don't know that we talked about, uh, well, we didn't yet, but the beginning farmer tax credit uh, Mm -hmm. is available Mm -hmm. now for for those landlords that are more interested in working with young people. So they can get a a tax credit for their Ohio taxes up to 3.99% by leasing or selling farmland to uh, to those people that qualify as beginning farmers. So that's a whole nother discussion, but I just thought I'd throw it out. And
1: I think that's a great thing just to bring up because that's that's one program I feel does not get a lot of traction out there that just people don't know about that much.
2: Well, it's just getting kind of traction. So I think (laughs) it's uh, maybe going to be more utilized here in the next couple of years.
0: Just another tool in your toolbox yeah, when you're going absolutely. out and trying to gain more land base, and a
2: landowner that's maybe a little bit more uh, interested in working with young mm-hmm. people. They want to they want to give somebody a kind of a leg up. This is an additional incentive for them.
0: And I think we're actually finding that more, that it seems like there's, you know, older farmers that actually want to retire now, and they're looking, you know, and if they don't have sons and daughters that want to come into it, they are looking for that younger farmer because they want to be that helping hand to continue, you know, their their farm and just maybe not them farming, but, you know, another young guy and knowing that the life that they had, they want to pass along.
1: And I think that producer looks at that too as he knows his farm will be, he can guide that person a little bit, too, to take care of it the way he took care of mm-hmm. it a little bit, too.
0: So I guess since we started talking about some of the new laws that have been out, can you go into a little bit more depth on the cash rental law that came out um, on cash rent renewals and just all the changes that happened with that?
1: And he's getting the notes out, so, so strap in. <laughs>
2: We're talking about the uh, new Ohio House Bill 397 that was just uh, signed into law this year. And it's, uh, well, I guess it's more of the informal title, but it's the Statutory Termination Requirements for Farm Leases Law. And uh, essentially, it sets a deadline, okay? And this is uh, new for Ohio, but it's not new for the Midwest. There's a number of other states that have this language, have this in their statutes that requires, uh, if you want to boil it down, it requires the landowner, the landlord to give notice if they want to sever the lease arrangements or if uh, you want to put it real uh, kind of bluntly, they want to fire their farmer. Okay. So uh, they have to do it in writing by September 1st if there's no other language in the written lease. So this applies to both written and oral lease arrangements. Okay, Oral, it applies to all well, most all oral leases and any written lease that doesn't already have language in it as far as a termination date. So what we're typically thinking about here are oral leases that roll over from year to year, which a lot of them do without much discussion between the landowner and the tenant. So what, what needs to happen if the landowner wants to uh, uh, sever or discontinue the lease, they have to send in writing by delivery, fax, or email to the farmer prior to September 1st uh, their decision that they want to uh, discontinue the lease. If that's done, then the termination date shall be either the date of harvest or, sep- or December 31st, whichever's earlier. So that's the kind of the basics. There's some more points. You know, it applies only to crop leases. Okay, it applies only to the landowner. Okay, so the tenant they could uh, sever the lease arrangement after the September first date, and there's some recommended terms to include also for the landowner to put into that written lease
1: if they uh, they want to make it more legally sound. What was different with what we have in place now to what was prior uh, in place?
2: Well, yeah, there's. There's nothing in the statute as far as any kind of a date. However, in the past, there have been some uh, – I'm, I'm not an attorney, and Peggy should be here to discuss so this. I was trying to remember when – if,
1: if you basically – if you had already worked, like the, put yeah, inputs in for the exactly. next year. That that kind of a court
2: case, that there, there has been a court case or two at least uh, that have uh, given traction or given uh, some – backing to that kind of thinking. If you've tilled, if you've gone out and done some tillage, if you bought seed, chemical, fertilizer for that particular acreage, you could take them, you know, and people have, have won on those grounds okay. to continue the lease for that next year. Um, I hate to get too far into the legal part here. Cause this, not my this, area. this
1: new is basically it's, it's giving basically it's protecting the landlord and the, and the tenant farmer that this is this is this is how it's going to be.
2: Yeah, it, it it certainly makes it more cut and dried, mm-hmm. uh, but it gives more protection to the tenant farmer, mm-hmm. I think, and it allows them to go ahead and, and do some more forward planning. and And to be honest, and you guys know it too, most of them have already started their planning and in some cases purchasing by September first. So oh gosh, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys. Seen this
1: happen in some cases, it's months before that. Yeah, it seems like even mid summer now, we have so many producers that you know take advantage of that early pre buy and yep. you know have inputs. Yeah, it's it's you know, always we talk about you know our farm inputs and operating. We always you know used to you always think of it as like, well, it's a 12 month cycle, not really. It's it, it looks like we're like 18 months, uh-huh. 20 months, a 24 month cycle because we're we're always into one crop year and buying for the next. and. You know, possibly even buying some for the year after that, just to, oh, depending yeah. on on the buying power that we can we can obtain. Yep.
0: And I well, and I think with the supply chain problems that we've had, oh, and yeah. going back into COVID, guys are looking at things earlier and trying to price things earlier, and so it is starting um, a lot earlier. And I want I to make <laughs> sure
1: we got that got the inputs to put in the ground. Yes, absolutely. absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think this whole this um, law comes back to reiterating. Have your leases in writing, too, yeah, just certainly. so th- everything is very clear. Yep, And recommend and, that. If, and, and please back me up on this, too, right? At, over three years, right, <laughs> needs to be recorded at the recorder's It
2: office. does. That's correct. It's uh, It needs to be recorded. Now, just because it it's has to be recorded uh, doesn't have to mean that you have to include the rental amount, as I understand it. But, again, we're dipping into legal uh, waters here that... Uh, as an economist, I start to get a little nervous, but I've been in <laughs> enough of those meetings with Peggy Hall to know that it's beyond three, three years that yes, you've got to have that recorded. And, uh,
0: I just want to make sure we say that two or three times <laughs> on here just to make our point you know, right. very clear, just to, yeah, yeah. just to have that. And, and I think this is a great, a great law to protect the farmer. So
1: well, to kind of talk about it too, Barry, a little bit, and I don't want to get too far deep into it. Cause I know you will be joining us on, uh, one of our uh, webinars uh, coming up, but um, you know, projections for 2023, yeah. our inputs. Give me just a little teaser. What are what are what are you seeing for 2023? Well, I think overall the cost is uh,
2: the basket of costs is going to be higher, and I think that's no surprise to anybody, right? Uh, because you know, for the 22 crop, we had some opportunities to buy some things in 21 when costs weren't quite so high. So some growers were able to cost average some of their fertilizer perhaps and had a lot lower average price point. For the 23 crop, there's not been any of those opportunities, right? So I think we're faced with overall, even though prices have kind of stabilized in the fertilizer side and even softened a little bit, I think the overall fertilizer cost bundle is going to be higher for, for almost all growers Uh, Fuel, actually, it looks like it's going to be a little softer, uh, mostly flat to softer, although compared to two years ago, higher. Um, Chemical, I think right now, at least the way we're seeing it, it's mostly flat compared to last year. There may be some of those products that might be a little bit lower. Uh, But then we get into things like interest expense, uh, rental expense. Those are going to be higher then the big one is machinery and equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're plugging in about 20% higher machinery and equipment costs uh, and repairs or parts, if you will. So
1: that's going to be a big thing to absorb. You know, one thing I look at, I want your opinion too, as far as our corn versus soybean acres, we talk about the input costs. I do know just from hearing through the corn belt more, through the grain belt, I think a lot of producers have kind of took the uh, – sit on it and wait. Uh, with uh, some of their crop out there, do you see a switch in acres for 2023 versus kind of what was planned?
2: Oh, boy. Um, well, with the numbers that we're continuing to run through, and and you asked me, you would have asked me a couple of months ago, I would have said that uh, there started to make, seem to be a better argument for a shift towards more corn acres, but uh, some recent uh, price changes, soybeans have rallied a little bit, and uh, uh, the way our numbers look at least our bottom line uh, net farm income projections for each of the crops soybeans look uh, right now to be the better bet here in Ohio at least mm-hmm. with our with our costs that we're evaluating so I would I wouldn't see much change this next year although uh, that grain uh, side is not necessarily my uh, <laughs> my comfort
1: area there's there's just so much, uh, uh, I wanna call it turmoil in the grain side, but you know, we, we look at you know, transportation out of the grain belt and uh, the vomitoxin that's hit our corn crop here just in my area, northwest Ohio. Yeah. That, you know, it, it makes you wonder, you know, ten, twelve months from now, how's that gonna affect our supply since, you know, ninety percent of our corn is uh, you know, for animal feed. Sure. You know. How's that going to Really affect long term, you know the demand. But
2: I guess as a producer,
1: I'm always looking at that thing. Hey, in my mind, if we have some corn that can't be utilized, it it should be bigger demand for corn, correct? But quite possibly, yeah, that that makes makes
2: sense. It's uh, something that you know we've been following a little bit, but uh, I've. I've been following it at, at a distance. I, I have been following closely what's going on with Mississippi Mississippi corridor, you know, primarily due to uh, just my interest in the fertilizer sector. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got to ship grain down and ship fertilizer up. And that's certainly been another supply chain issue oh, yeah. that we really didn't need.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, that I still think has not really resolved itself uh, no. a whole lot and not for the foreseeable future. No, no it really. doesn't look like it. right? right. Well, they say you know you could go in Vegas and gamble, or you could you could farm and do it do it every day, right? So <laughs> we just
0: said that in our office this week.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, very very good, great information.
0: So that was a little teaser on what's coming up for our um, series of webinars that will start in January. Barry is our first guest, and he will be on our webinar for January the evening of January eleventh at seven p.m. So please join us then.
1: Thank you for joining us. Another episode of Ag Credit Set It. Be sure to follow us on all the social media platforms and on your favorite podcast app. And we'll talk to you next time on Ag Credit Set It.
0: Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Set It. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave us a review to help others find the show. Let's talk ag in between episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agcredit. For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net.